the late summer of 2002 saw the release of a joint Swedish and Danish film production called Lilia Forever. The movie was lauded by critics and received several awards both in Sweden and abroad. Lilia Forever is the story of the downward spiral of Lilia, a girl from the former Soviet Union who is abandoned by her mother at a young age when she moves to America with her partner. Without giving too much away about the movie itself, there are many reasons as to why it is regularly described as one of the most bleak and depressing films of all time. And when you consider the subject matter and plight of Lilia, it's difficult not to agree with that statement. Sadly, the movie is no work of fiction. It is based on the tragic life of a young girl called Dangule Rasalaite. This is Nordic True Crime. Dangule Rasalaite grew up in a small village in the country of Lithuania, roughly 50 kilometers west of the capital city of Vilnius. Her early life was far from what could be classed as normal. She lived in a run-down apartment together with her older sister and mother. Her father was estranged from his daughters, playing no part in family life. The village itself was poor, suffering from a high rate of unemployment, and its inhabitants faced the daily struggle of trying to make ends meet. When Dangole was 14 years old, her mother decided enough was enough and packed her suitcase and moved to the USA. She had met a new man and was determined to make a better life for herself, and America was the place where she could do it. However, Dangula and her sister wouldn't be making the trip. They were left behind in Lithuania, left behind to provide and fend for themselves. Just when it seemed as though her situation couldn't get any worse, it did. Her sister soon moved to Germany and 14-year-old Angola was alone. It was a very harsh environment for a young girl to grow up in without a family. The country, once under Soviet rule, wasn't short of socially deprived areas, and in some of these places, the threat of sexual violence was always lurking in the background. Angola, even at just 14 years old, had on more than one occasion been forced to escape from men who had attempted to sexually assault her. 
One of these incidents even included the escape from a potential gang rape. One day, a letter arrived at the offices of Lithuania's social services. It was posted from the United States and was from Dangola's mother. In the letter, she explained that she no longer wished to be a mother and wanted to renounce her parental rights from there on. She had started a new life in the West and according to her, being a mother to two daughters didn't fit into her new lifestyle. Dangole was already alone and this revelation was devastating news for the teenager. When she was 16 years old, Dangola met a man who would later become her boyfriend, a man who we have decided to call Tavas. He treated her well and gave her a lot of attention and affection. Attention and affection which the young girl had been starved of. He soon became the only person in her life who she trusted. Tava soon started talking about getting Dangola out of the country to make a better life for herself. And one day, he presented his idea to her. He had some connections which could help her get to Sweden, where she could work as a nanny or a cleaner. And this way, they would be able to save up some money in order to achieve the life the couple craved. Dangola was excited by Tava's idea, and they started to put the plan into motion to get her out of Lithuania. Since she was only 16 years old, she had to somehow obtain a fake passport, and one of her friends, Kristina, decided that she could use hers. But as the departure date loomed, Tavas revealed that he wouldn't be able to go with her to Sweden. She would initially have to travel by herself, and he would follow soon after. He told her not to worry about anything, as he had arranged for a friend, who we will call Vladimir, to meet her at the airport, and he would show her to her new apartment and then take her to her new place of work the following morning. So on the 17th of November, 1999, Dangula boarded a flight to Sweden to begin her new life. When she arrived at the airport, she was met by Vladimir and a woman. Together, they had some food and drinks at a cafe where Vladimir explained to her that he would take her passport, but only as a temporary basis until she had made 20,000 Swedish crowns which is around 2,000 US dollars in today's money. This, according to him, is what she owed him for the plane ticket and accommodation, and she would get her passport back after repaying the debt, where she would then be free to do whatever she pleased. Dangola didn't really like this proposition, but figured that she didn't have much choice and things would probably be okay as soon as she made money from cleaning apartments or babysitting. Vladimir and the woman then drove Dangola to a small town called Arlov, 
on the outskirts of the city of Malmö, in the southern part of Sweden. She was shown to an apartment where she was told she would be staying whilst working in the country. It was a small one-bedroom flat with a small bed and bathroom, but not much else. After showing her around, Vladimir and the woman left. But as they left, they locked the door from the outside, which of course meant that Angule wouldn't be able to leave. This made her feel very uneasy, and she wondered what was going on. After a short while, the door opened, and five men entered the small apartment. It quickly dawned on Dangule why they were there and what they wanted. She tried as best as she could to get away from them, but her efforts were in vain. The five men raped her and threw some cash on the table before leaving. She was naked, in pain, and terrified. And it didn't take long before the door opened once again and more men entered the flat to do exactly the same as what the previous men had done. And this continued throughout the night. A constant stream of men entered the apartment to exploit and assault a scared and trapped 16-year-old girl who just hours before had stepped foot in the country for the first time. Dangola had now of course realized that she had been tricked. There was no cleaning or babysitting job. Tavas had sold her to a man in a foreign country to work as a prostitute. Every day, there was a steady flow of men showing up at the apartment door to have sex with her against her will. Sometimes, she was even taken to various sex clubs to be sold to whoever took a fancy to her. One of the men, who we have decided to call Branco, was a regular visitor at Angola's apartment. He sometimes gave her extra cash after he had finished his business because he felt sorry for her. One day, he suggested to her that he would forget to lock the door when he left and she could then escape and come to his pizzeria in the city of Malmö, which was about 10 kilometers from the flat. She quickly agreed to the plan and ran from the apartment which had been her prison for what had now felt like a lifetime. She sprinted by people in the street, people who were leading their everyday ordinary lives, totally oblivious to Dangola's situation. She made it to the pizzeria and moved in with Branco, where he took care of her for a while. She even started helping out at the pizzeria, but it wasn't long before his real plans came to light. He locked her up in the basement of his restaurant, where she was once again forced to have sex with men for money. One day, she met a man in the pizzeria who we had decided to call Slobodan. They got to know each other well and struck up a relationship of sorts. A few weeks before Christmas, 
Slobodan brought her to a party. And it was there that Angola met a 17-year-old girl called Melitta. She told Melitta that her name was Christina and that she was 19 years old and was there together with her boyfriend, Slobodan. The girls immediately hit it off with one another, even though they didn't speak the same language. Instead, they made themselves understood through their broken English. Later that same evening, the mixers at the party had run out, and Angola and Melitta both volunteered to go to the shop and buy some more. The small talk flowed during the short walk down to the corner store, and soon Dangola started telling Melitta about a friend of hers who was forced to have sex with men for money in order to repay a debt. Melitta was appalled at what she was hearing, but didn't realize that Dangola was actually talking about herself. So they bought the mixers and returned to the party. As the evening progressed, the group were sitting and chatting when Melitta asked if anybody knew of any apartments which were available to rent. Dangola's boyfriend then said that he knew of a lady who was subletting her apartment and he could give her a call. He then suggested that maybe Dangola could share the apartment with Melitta. This sounded like a great idea to the newly acquainted friends and they both happily agreed to the proposal. Things moved quickly. The next day they picked up Melitta and together they went to view their potential new apartment. They both liked what they saw and the landlady went through the house rules with the girls, explaining when the rent was due. And just like that, they were handed the keys to their new home. Dangola didn't have many belongings, just a few tops, trousers and some photographs. Everything fitted inside a small bag. Her most precious belongings were a necklace, a ring and a wristwatch, which, according to Melitta, she always carried with her. It wasn't long before Melitta noticed that her new roommate never left the apartment. She would stand at the window, looking out at everyday life passing by, and every night, she cried herself to sleep. Melitta asked Angola time and time again why she was so upset and why she was crying, but she just replied that she didn't want to talk about it. One evening, they decided to spend the night in and have some drinks together. After a few drinks, Dangola became upset and started to cry. Melitta begged her to reveal what was upsetting her so much, and finally she broke down and told her. But only after making Melitta promise that she would never tell anyone about what she was about to hear. Dangola recounted her heartbreaking life story for her new best friend. A shocked Melitta tried to persuade her to go to the police, but she was too afraid, claiming that if she was to do so and was sent back to Lithuania, Vladimir would hunt her down and kill her. 
She was understandably terrified of what lay in wait if she was to return to her homeland. Melita then asked her if Vladimir or anyone else knew where she was, and she told her that only Slobodan knew, the man she considered to be her boyfriend, who she had met at Branco's pizzeria. But in truth, Vladimir had been looking all over town for Dangula since she had gone missing from the apartment. According to witnesses, he even went back to the cafe where they had eaten together when she first arrived at the airport. He asked if anybody knew where Christina, the fucking whore, was. Vladimir was angry about his loss of income. But it was in fact an accomplice of his, a man named Gidrius, who was the man responsible for Dangola's presence in Sweden. He was the one who had organized the whole thing, and it was he who had also paid for the plane ticket and cost of the forged passport. Vladimir had helped Gidrius out by meeting Dangola at the airport, and he was also the owner of the apartment she was originally held prisoner in. So in truth, they both considered themselves to be the owners of Dangola. The girls soon realized that they were being watched. Outside the apartment, there was always a car parked by the side of the road, with men inside who were keeping an eye on them. They were both scared, and they had also run out of money. Melita said that she would go home to her mother's place and try and borrow some cash. But there was a problem. She lived in another town, and they didn't have enough money for the bus fare for the both of them to get there. So Melita asked Angola to stay in the apartment until she came back. But this made Angola hysterical. She was crying and sobbing. Melita asked her if she was sure that there was something she wasn't telling her due to how upset she had suddenly become. Nobody could get inside the apartment as long as she locked the door and didn't let anyone in. Eventually, Melita left the apartment and took the bus to her mother's house. On arrival, her mother told Melita that she had received some strange and threatening phone calls. The caller had told her that her daughter had something that belonged to him and that if she didn't return it, then she would be sent home in a casket. Melita's mother demanded to know what was going on. She was left with no choice and told her about Dangole. She also explained that they couldn't go to the police because Dangula was afraid for her safety and bringing her home to her mother was out of the question as she didn't want to drag her into the situation. She told her mother that they were safe where they were but if anything should happen to them then she now knew the reason behind it. Melita returned to the apartment with both money and food. She knocked on the door, a secret knock they had decided upon together 
so that Tangula would know that it was her at the door. But nothing happened. Tangula never came to the door. Milita touched the handle and noticed that it wasn't locked. She was overcome with a horrible feeling. She just knew that something terrible had happened. Melita carefully stepped inside the apartment. On entering the flat, she almost immediately heard a loud bang and she instinctively grabbed an old hammer they had once found outside whilst looking for empty cans to recycle for money. She quietly crept towards the bedroom and opened the door. Tangula was there, bent over the bed, with a man towering above her, raping her from behind. Her face was bright red. It was obvious that she was in serious pain and discomfort. Melita screamed at the man whilst waving the hammer in the air. Get the fuck out! If you don't get out now, I swear to God I will kill you! Tangula sobbed. Please don't do it. He will kill you. Please run away. But Melita directed her furious stare at the man and said to Tangula, No, I don't want to leave you. She was terrified, but masked it well with her anger. The man looked at her and then slowly pulled up his pants. Melita grabbed Dangula and told her to come with her to the living room, pulling her tightly towards her whilst keeping a tight hold of the hammer, all the time focusing on the man. She sat Dangula down on the couch whilst she repeated the same sentence over and over in somewhat catatonic state. He will kill you. He will kill you. He will kill you. Melita told her to stop talking. And then the man came out from the bedroom. He calmly sat down on one of the armchairs and looked at Melita and said, I don't know what to do with you. Melita was shaking with fear on the inside. She recognized the man. He was a well-known criminal at the time. An extremely dangerous individual. She answered him. I don't know what you should do either, but I do know that I will never give up. He said, You have a very big mouth. You talk too much. You know that I have a very special job. Melita replied, Okay, and what kind of job is that then? I'm an artist. But not just any ordinary artist. I will cut your tongue out and use your blood to paint a portrait of you on the wall there. Melita told the man to leave immediately or she would call the cops. He said calmly, Okay, I will leave you now. But remember, it is not you who owns her. I do. Melita said, What do you mean own her? She's a human being. You can't own a human being. She's my friend. We live together and that's it. The man replied, What don't you understand? I have paid money for her and I will always own her. Remember that. And with those final words, he left the apartment. Milita ran over to her friend 
who by this time was sobbing. Dangola said to her, He will kill you and your whole family. You should run away and leave me behind so you don't get dragged into this. But Melita comforted her and said that she would never leave her. They would have to kill her first. The girls cried and hugged each other. When they had both somewhat recovered from the shock of the ordeal, Milita asked how he had managed to get inside the apartment, to which Dangula replied, he had his own key. It suddenly dawned on the girls that nothing in this world was free. They had never really thought twice about why their landlady never came by to ask for the rent. And since the girls were so young, perhaps naive, and didn't have a job, they were not going to complain about it. It never crossed their minds that the woman got far more money from the clients, who she would in return give the key to the apartment to, for them to go in and have their way with Dangola, against her own will. But the landlady didn't care about what happened to the teenager. As long as she was getting paid, she asked no questions. The girls had nowhere else to go, so they tried to figure out a way in which they could lock the door so that nobody could get in, even if they had a key. But in the end, they couldn't figure out how to make the door more secure and ended up sleeping in shifts, in the fear that someone managed to get the door open whilst they both slept. One evening, the landlady invited some friends over to the apartment. The girls were also in attendance, and they all began to drink heavily. Later that same night, Melita and Dangole started to argue. Dangole, on a previous occasion, had had sex with some men who Melita knew, and she didn't appreciate the fact that Dangole had kept this from her. According to Melita, she felt somewhat betrayed by her friend, since she had protected her, and at the same time put her own family in danger, and this was how she repaid her. She told her, that she never wanted to see her again. They were both intoxicated and were not thinking clearly, so when Melita finally calmed down, she said to Dangole that they could sleep on it and talk about it the next day. She went to bed and as she was falling asleep, she could hear Dangole whisper, Just remember that I will always love you. You are like a sister to me. I will go now and take my life. It only took a few seconds before Melita woke up, and as her foggy head cleared, she realized that Dangole had left the apartment. She jumped into action and ran out of the apartment in pursuit of her friend. But when she came out onto the street, Dangole was nowhere to be seen. She screamed her name and frantically ran around looking for her, not realizing that she had walked in the direction of the motorway. 
Dangola wandered by the side of the freeway for a few kilometers before taking a sharp turn and walking out towards the edge of a motorway bridge. She looked down at the traffic below her before taking one more step onto the ledge and with one foot on the railing and one in a hanging flower basket, she stood there for a few seconds, hesitating, before letting her body fall down onto the oncoming traffic. Shocked motorists ran to her aid. She was severely injured and an ambulance was called which rushed her to the hospital. Dangola was in a coma for three days before her body couldn't fight any longer and she passed away. She was just 16 years old. The police tried to find out who she was and in one of her pockets they found a note with a list of phone numbers. One of the numbers belonged to Melitta's mother and this soon led them to the apartment Dangula had shared with her friend. There they found three handwritten letters which were all signed with Dangula's name and not Christina, the name on her forged passport. One of the letters was to a friend of hers, another to her cousin, and the third one was to the friend who loaned her the passport. She wrote very openly in some of the letters, stating that she had been tricked and was not working as a cleaner or babysitter, but as a prostitute, and that she felt terrible about her desperate situation. With help from the Lithuanian police, the real Kristina was soon tracked down to her home on the outskirts of Vilnius, where she was interviewed. She told them that Tangula and Tavas, who was not previously known to Kristina, came to her house in November of 1999, where Tavas offered her money for her passport. At around the same time, Dangola's story was aired on the Swedish television show Efterlust, which translates to Most Wanted, where the police asked the public for any information in regards to the case. And not long after the show aired, they received some interesting tips. One man claimed that he knew the man who had held Dangola captive and who was also the owner of that same apartment. Vladimir. When the police caught up with and interviewed Vladimir, he told them all about Gidrius. He described him as a tall and athletically built man in his early 30s of Lithuanian descent. He didn't know where he was, but he did know that he used to work on a farm not too far away from Malmö. The police traveled to the farm, but Gidrius was nowhere to be seen. However, his car was still there, and via an international search, they got a hit on his personal details. But according to the Lithuanian border control, Gidrius had already fled Sweden, traveling home a few days earlier. 
at that time, no law existed in Sweden in regards to human trafficking for sexual purposes. That particular law didn't come into place until 2002. So the crime that Gideus was wanted in connection with was that of the much more minor charge of procuring. And due to the level of crime committed, it was not possible to receive assistance from Interpol. So even though the police had their suspicions that Angola had been trafficked to Sweden and even knew who did it, the prosecutor decided on the 3rd of August 2000 not to move forward with the case due to the lack of evidence supporting the theory that the crime of trafficking had occurred. And just like that, all the men and women who had taken advantage of a poor, lonely, vulnerable 16-year-old girl pushing her to the point of no return which resulted in her taking her own life, were free to go without charge. Unfortunately, even with more stringent laws and punishments in place today, trafficking is not as uncommon as we'd like to believe. It is often thought that this type of crime generally happens in less developed countries, when the truth is that it happens more or less all over the world, regardless of the economic status of the country. The crime often follows the same pattern. First, you have the groomer, who targets victims who are vulnerable, have low self-esteem or are in economic distress. In Dangola's case, the groomer was Tavas, who portrayed himself as her boyfriend. The next step is for the groomer to gather as much information as possible about their victim and to gain trust to get closer to the target. And once close enough, he or she can use the information gathered to fill a need. That could be anything from helping out financially, being a friend, a lover, or buying drugs or alcohol. Slowly but surely, they spend more and more time together in order to isolate the victim from their friends and families. Because the less outside influence a person is receiving, the easier it is to control and manipulate them. And that's when the groomer starts demanding a return for their services. A return for being such a loyal and good friend throughout the victim's time of need. Dangola was told that she had a debt of 20,000 Swedish crowns for the passport and plane tickets, a sum of money she would never be able to pay back at such a young age. A superficial debt which trapped her into a life of slavery. The groomer or trafficker maintains control of their victim via threats, violence or blackmail, which of course makes it almost impossible for them to escape.
Dangula became Sweden's symbol of the horrendous crime of human trafficking. Her story, as mentioned earlier in the episode, was the inspiration for the movie Lilia Forever, directed by Lucas Modison, which aimed to try and shine a light on this devastating and barbaric practice. Trafficking, or modern-day slavery, is a global problem. It occurs more regularly in the bigger cities of poor countries, where people living in poverty are taken to richer countries to be sold on. But in some cases, it's also common for people to be trafficked from the countryside to the big cities of that same country. It is officially the second biggest organized crime in the world, and according to the UN, it comes with an annual turnover of 32 billion US dollars. Europe is estimated to have the highest number of sex slaves per capita, where the most common victims are women and children. According to the Walk Free Foundation's Global Slavery Index, as many as 45.8 million people in the world are currently living under modern slavery, and 60 to 70% are exploited sexually, with women and children making up 95% of that total. 